Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And I'm Amber taking a yeah, big drink of water. Drink. Sorry. Could have looked at you before I hit record. That's okay. So today we have the conclusion of our Father's Day case. The horrible, grinchy Joseph. So grinchy. Ritzel. So Look grinchy. Look his picture up. He's grinchy. If you are just tuning in, please check out our previous episode that aired on Sunday, June 20th, because that is part one. And you'll be a little lost. If you start, if you jump in right now. I have been dying for part two for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> for the time it took me to go upstairs and get you that water and so, then come yes. back down. And so I can't imagine how the others feel. Yeah, it's um, been four days for them. My five minutes has been agonizing. I know they all Googled it, so they know the crescendo, but I'm going to give you the deets. These are going to be the dirty, dirty yeah, details. You, you have the deep deets. I do. So. We're doing deep deets here. And uh, as you guys always know that our references and sources are in our show notes, but a major source for this was the incredible book, I'm No Monster, the horrifying true story of Joseph Fritzl. And so pick up a copy, read it. It's good. Um, So I'm going to give you a recap. Elizabeth Fritzl is the daughter of Joseph Fritzl. Joseph becomes obsessed with Elizabeth. And she decides at the age of 18, he had been masturbating in front of her and touching her. She ran away when she was 16. And after that, the touching and whatnot stopped because he was afraid she was going to tell people. But his obsession with her did not stop. And now that she's 18, she had started writing letters to friends about how she was going to move out in the fall and live with her sister and be free of her house. And so August 29th, 1984, Her father lures her into a cellar that he had been building for years, a very intricate maze of rooms. And where we left you is that she was just chloroformed and taken into the cellar. She woke up on a king-size mattress that had been furnished with linens and pillows. She was chained to the bed. The chains, the pole that the chains were on, padlocked to, had been cemented into the floor. So it was clearly pre-planned. And she's still just not really sure what the heck is going on. You know, it got me thinking during the recap that I almost think that he planned this when he decided to stop touching her. He stopped, but there was an A intention. Reason. That makes he it makes stopped. me wonder. He stopped. It's and I'm glad that you say that. They do point that out in the book oh, as well. He stopped, but then it was like he spent two years building up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like he stopped, but it wasn't like a good intention. It was a, I have other things, like I have another idea and I'm going to make this happen. Right. I agree. Before we go more, I want to explain to you the seller entrance explanation, just because it might be hard for people to comprehend, like how, how did he keep her captive? Okay, in his office, there was a shelf that was pushed up against the wall. 
When you removed that shelf, you find a hole in the concrete that's only about three feet off the ground and three feet in height. I remember you saying there was like his secret hole. Yes, that he was he was working. That sounds on. really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's dark. We all have a secret, secret hole. hole. So you have to crawl through it, and once through, it leads to a crawl split space, which is black. And you have to crouch through the crawl space to get through it. So if somebody were to find the hole, when they look through it, they're only going to see black. Because it's just this tiny little square room that you have to crouch through. Like the ceiling is so low in it that you have to crouch through it. Oh, wow. And on the other side, there is this corridor that leads to a a concrete door. So this is like top secret. Yeah. Yeah. And so he had to do some work to get her through that after he... Yes, he and it's amazing that you say that. Yes, he did, because the authors talk about how there's some hypothesis of how he would have done that after he drug her. But the most reasonable is probably like how a like a fox drags its prey from... It walks backwards, dragging it. Yeah. They think that, that, that they pushed her... He pushed her through the hole and plopped her onto the ground of the crawl space. And then since he can't stand straight up in the crawl space, he would have had to have walked backwards dragging her into the corridor. And then from there he could pick her up and lay her, put her in the room wow. on the bed. Mm-hmm. So the chances of anybody finding her are pretty Ex- slim. Exactly. And it sounded like the police were already like, well, she's an adult. The police were She'll already accepting the father's explanation of where she went. This is terrifying already. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Now, in the bedroom, it has a TV, a bed, an electric stove, a wash basin, and a sink that only has cold water. There's also a toilet. Its only ventilation is cracks in the concrete walls where the smell of wet earth is coming from. The only light is a single bulb hanging from the ceiling, which is controlled by a switch that's several rooms away, so he can leave her in darkness whenever he pleases, which he does oh, so often. Oh, wow. And he brought plastic silverware. So it gives you the idea that she's going to be there a long time. I'll just tell you right now that she is there for 24 years. Oh my gosh. What? 24 years. You thought the girl in the box with seven years was bad? This man holds his daughter captive for 24 years. The entrances to the cellar is like a maze down there that only he knows. Yeah, that's what, th- mm-hmm. I mean, it really paints the picture. You you painted the picture immediately that it's, there's, nobody's going to know no, that this exists. No, and the family wasn't allowed down there. If you picture this room in the middle of the house surrounded by other square like mazes of rooms that's how you get to it because there's two points of entry one from the garden and one from the garage but each of them you have to go through several rooms one of which is his office and that hole in the wall before you can get to it I feel like every component of this was composed to be something as it it was I think it manifested in his brain the minute that he knew he had to stop touching her because he was scared that she would tell and so, so then it became a, how can I get away with it? Because like I said, construction on the cellar started in 1978 and it didn't finish until 84 when he abducted her. So this was this was definitely pre-planned, something he'll wow. later deny. Wow. That is a lot to take in. Now, it, it is, it, but I'm about to open wide, honey, because okay. I'm putting more in there. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't handle much more. Right, I know. <laughs> so he had brought a plastic like salad bowl in case she needed to, quote, answer a call of nature. And he untied her wrists, but not before he wrapped a longer, equally heavy chain around her waist. This is so she can reach the toilet in the wash basin in the stove when he unties her wrists. So he's like giving her a little bit of freedom. Then he ties these chains, these heavy chains around his waist. He also decides that he's going to punch her, kick her, slap her many, many times. So he's starting the pattern of be fearful of me. Don't try to get away. Right. I will harm you. He's being very physically abusive to her. Now, up until this point, he hadn't been. He was he's physically abusive to his wife and his. So he was abusive to all of them. Yeah. But now this is this is getting pretty bad. The punching, the slapping. He had done the, you know, board punishment, oh, the Schlater yeah. knocking or whatever yeah. it was called. <laughs> right. Oh, so, my goodness. So he's um, upping the ante with the abuse now. With yes. Her. Yep. The physical attack on Elizabeth happened on the second day, and it lasted about 40 minutes. Um, he was hitting her in the face and chest. She was crying, crying and struggling. He's putting his hands over her mouth and nose, gagging her with his fingers. Like Ew. yeah, I know. Gross. Just, just little sausages right in I, there. I envisioned right. a sausage. Yeah, like the Grinch with sausage exactly. fingers. Exactly. And he's just like suffocating her, and she's trying to say to shake him off, but it's almost impossible with the weight of the chains and the weight of him. She knows very well what he's capable of. Actually, her brother used to say, "Harold, one day that pig will kill, kill us all." That was like one of. He his, wasn't far off. Mm-hmm. Everyone in that household feared him. The Grinch and that's is how disgusting. he wanted it. Mm-hmm. I don't like him. It wasn't beneath him to threaten to kill family me- family members when he was on one of his rampages. So this was their, like, they know. Now, very little noise is penetrating the cellar from above. And the reverse is also too true. Frankly, he kept telling her, they can't hear you, so there's no point. Still, she did try to defend herself. She tries, you know, she tries. He constantly says, if you don't do what I say, it'll only get worse. She's realizing she's sitting there bleeding, covered by in blood. He's making all these threats. And she's realizing that there's very little hope of her ever being found, like stumbled upon and found, uh-huh. really. And furthermore, the police won't be looking for her. Australian lawmakers are of the opinion that sexual offenders rehabilitate themselves on their own accord. They just get better. Time heals, so goes the thinking. I'm sorry, what? Yes, and it's on the basis of this view that the law has decreed that any conviction for a sexual crime is to be held on record for exactly 10 years, after of which the ugly blot is simply erased. It's 1984. For a while, the suspected arson attempt case will remain on file, but the record of sexual assaults has already vanished from the police files on Joseph. Wow. So So it's even though she's missing, she's a missing person. They're not going to look into him because his record is gone. The only thing that remains are news articles from the local town about when he raped that girl um, at knife point. And was sent to prison for 18 months. So they're not looking at him in any way at this point. And plus, we already said he had kind of a probably good image in the community. He did. He had an upstanding image in the community. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't judge anybody that owned a bed and breakfast. Like, that's 
a pretty yeah. noble thing. Like, right. oh, wow, bed yeah. and breakfast. Exactly. Fancy. We're you know. easy to impress if yeah. you couldn't yeah, tell. Yeah, like I have very low standards. So <laughs> right. if you right. own a bed and breakfast, you're good people like, to me. I, right. You're in with right. me. <laughs> I get it. You're willing to cook people breakfast and let them Saint. sleep in your house? Okay. <laughs> Within days of Elizabeth's, dis- Elizabeth's disappearance, the police will accept the hypothesis that Joseph is the one that put forward anyway, that she ran away to join a cult. Although you can count like on one hand all the different cults and sects. sects. <laughs> That's hard to say on a microphone. <laughs> S-E-C-T-S, <Sex>. guys. Seconds. <laughs> Seconds. <laughs> yes. There is an is a guy named Otto Mall. He has a cult in Bergenland, and there are various international groups who are well known to the authorities and whose presence in Austria is is negligible. There's the Scientologist, and this is all at the time. Okay, so did they look into cults at the time? Were they like, oh, let's check this out, or were they like, yeah, mm, yeah, this whatever is just he what, says? Yeah, no, they didn't look into anything. They just knew like, there's the Scientologist, there's the Jehovah's Witnesses because they consider that a cult. There's the Hare Krishna, the Moonies. Otto Mall was actually in the paper a lot, and they've later speculate that that is where he got a lot of his ideas. Joseph got a lot of his ideas from. okay. Yep. None of them had a history of making people disappear for the record. So that's weird to me, too, that they're like, hmm, what are the chances that there's only these these few, you know, sects, sects (laughs) in the area, different Mm -hmm. religions. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's Mm -hmm. only a few different religious religional religious um i prefer religional (laughs) can we use that please (laughs) different religious communities that they could have joined and i just love how it was never thought of of like wow but none of them have ever made people disappear a full disappearance you're still yeah Mm -hmm. trigger warning because now i'm going to get into a little bit of how she was treated okay on the second day he rapes elizabeth twice both lasting hours. Aww. It's speculated that he took a break to wash because he was obsessed with personal hygiene. And his behavior that day caused no cause for concern to anybody else in the family. Like he went down, raped her for hours, went back upstairs, acted like he had been working all, you know, all day, acted normal, then went back down and did it again. And this would become his routine every day. Of what he would do. This poor child. He didn't. This is a quote from the I'm No Monster book. Quote, he doesn't speak to her at all because he now knows that he can do whatever he wanted. He was acting, acting out sexually everything that had built up in him. End quote. Ever since she had come back from Vienna, when for fear that he'd tell someone, Mm -hmm. he had been working towards this. The same thing, the same thing happens the next day and the day after that and the week and the month after that. If you don't do what I say, it'll only get worse. But it gets worse no matter what she does. Whether she screams or scratches his face or flies at him in her rage and hatred, whether she shuts her eyes to shut him out, it makes no difference. Over and over it happens. Twice daily rapes of a daughter by a father. A routine, a system. Oh my goodness, this poor girl. This is like what, it's truly what nightmares are it is. are made of. Yeah. And it just... No escape, no like how, No one's looking for you. How does this become someone's life? Like, how is a life born just for this? It makes no sense to me. 
And after a while, he shows her what the television is for. Remember I said that there was a television in the room. He has bought the television and a video recorder with a very specific purpose in mind. He's also brought several videotapes. And along with the videos, he has brought props that he had seen women use in pornographic films. Oh, no. Next to where he put the knives and forks, he has also placed a vibrator and a whip. The knives and forks are for eating, and the vibrator is for sex. The television is for watching pornographic videos, and the props were there to help. Not long into her imprisonment, he starts making Elizabeth watch the videos with him. She must use the props the way the actors do. And right from the start, he is there in the cellar for hours at a time. My heart just hurts so much for her. I know. What gets me is the way that he he is having meals with his wife upstairs like nothing has ever happened. And, like, what do they talk about? Like, she's obsessing. Rosemary is m- obsessing over the disappearance of their daughter. Yeah. And is asking questions like, where is she at? And he was just downstairs forcing her to watch pornographic videos and raping her. I for don't hours. think I'll ever trust anyone again, Charnel. I'm sorry. I'm d- I am damaged. I, I am damaged I after this. now broke well, you. Well, you, you hear these things and you're, like, you... Like, how will I ever believe anyone can be good genuinely again? Right. I, you right. scarred like, me. Right. No. <laughs> On your next date, you're going to be like, have you ever who, who imprisoned you somebody Lit- again? Yes. I need to see all the corridors. Take those shelves off the wall. I mean, when you think about, like, your biggest nightmare, mm-hmm. I That's think what this, this would woman, be it. It is. Yeah. She is so secretly kept. Mm-hmm. There's no chance of anybody finding Absolutely. her. To me, that's the most horrifying part because there's no glimpse of hope for her. Mm-mm. Nothing. Well, and it takes a whole week of threats and violence of and of leaving her alone in the dark and starving her to get her to do what he wants. She tried. I mean, she tried to fight back. She tried to escape. Good for her. It was no. But there's no escape. No, there is no escape. I'm wondering, does she, she didn't even really know how to get out of there probably, right? Well, that's just it. Even if she'd been able to get out the door, which he kept locked from the outside, it's not like it locked from the inside or anything. It was a concrete door. Yeah. Um. Even if she could get beyond it, she wouldn't have known how to get beyond all the other rooms and through the crawl spaces. And mm-hmm. no, no, she was completely trapped. And not to mention just in the way it smelled. I mean, she's in a dark, dank. Yeah, no sunlight, nothing. Mold. Mm-hmm. It gives me anxiety just thinking about how trapped, like the mm-hmm. level of being trapped she like is. Like I have to take a deep breath yes. because, it. yeah, if you think about it too much. After a month into her disappearance, he makes her write a letter confirming his story that she had run away to join a cult. It was ha- It was her handwriting, but her father's words. Then he drove a long way to mail it to himself just to confirm to everybody the story. They even took it to the police. The police even poured over it to search for clues. They even took it to a handwriting specialist and confirmed that it was her handwriting. Wow. The police did. Isn't it? It's so hard for me to wrap my brain around, like, this man's Diabolicalness. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, because... The way he's like, I know, we're going to write a letter to ourselves. Yeah, and the the pre-planning to trap his child. Like, I think about plants in my spare time and, like, what I'm going to plant in my flower beds. Like, I just... The diabolical part. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's exactly the word I was looking for. And and it's going to continue to escalate, too. As it turns to winter, there is no heat, often no light, and he starves her for days for punishment. At first, he took away her clothes and would just leave her there naked for weeks. So having any clothes at all is a comfort. On Christmas, she spent it alone and chained up in darkness wearing a smock made out of bed linens. Not many meters away, her family was gathered together. 
Spring 1985, he acknowledges that the chain around her waist is becoming a problem. When the when he rapes her, he often gets entangled in it. So he decides that is the time to remove the chain altogether. She did have like sores and cuts and bruises from oh. it too. And she was afraid between the beatings and like what the chains were doing to her that she would die of infection. And this garbage person is like, oh, it's in the way. It's in the way of, of me. me raping you. So I'm going to go ahead and remove it. But this then throws up questions about security. He's afraid that she's going to escape or, you know, when the, the door is open, is she going to bolt through it? So for many weeks before he removes the chain, he wrestles with the problem of how to make the seller more secure. As if it couldn't get any more secretive. Yep. And he spent a great deal of time reading the latest literature on the subject of like mechanics and security and all this stuff. And what he comes up with is that they had just come out with electric garage doors. That have to use a tool to open. Oh, yeah. Okay. So essentially, it's a remote control device, right? So he takes that concept and he fashions it into other doors beyond her door. So in the event that he removes the chain and she somehow gets out through the wow. door, it would take a remote to get through the extra doors. So he's just in these corridors. Like she's never yep. going to get out of he's here. He's obsessed with making sure that she's not going to get out. Now, her mind played tricks on her in the dark. She would hear mice and rats, but she couldn't see them. And so, obviously, her mind made them much bigger than they probably sure. were. Spiders would hang from the ceiling. Oh, it's For, getting personal now. Uh-huh. I know. The spider thing mm. really creeped me out. Yeah. For the first two years, she did fight him. And then, in August 1986, something changed. Her body felt different. Her body no longer felt like her own. When her period didn't come, she knew that she was pregnant, a secret that she could keep from her father for no more than a few weeks. He was captivated by the mechanics of her body, as he had always been captivated by the workings of, like, his drills and, you know, metal things and concrete-making machines and all that stuff, so he noticed right away. He was pleased that his daughter was pregnant and told her that she should be grateful. A baby is what every woman wants. He had given her the gift of child. And for two months, her body does what it's supposed to do. But then around the 10th week of pregnancy in November 1986, she miscarries. And from then on, she's no longer the same. She's not fighting him as much. She's kind of, she's, we're she's watching losing. her be broken. Yeah, absolutely. That's what's happening. Winter ap approaches and the cold starts. That's the only way, like, he won't give her a clock. He won't give her anything so that she can orient herself to day and night and time. So she just goes by seasons. She knows when it's stifling hot that it's summer and when it's bitterly cold, it's winter. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So she has no idea what time, what day. No, and and oftentimes, he, because she had fought him so much, so much, he would keep her in total darkness. She'd be weeks in total darkness like in the wintertime the pipes freeze the water is gone I mean it was only cold water anywhere anyway her body would start to hurt her hands and feet were numb it just it just everything she entered basically a state of hopelessness she started to sleep more and care less about mm -hmm. the fact that she doesn't know what day and time it is doesn't fight him anymore yeah, during the rapings. she's losing all will yep. to live or yep you know, hope of any kind. Another year passes and the rapes carry on twice a day. It's become his routine, his lifeboat, purging himself in the cellar. Above ground, though, there's no more peeping on other women, no more attempted rapes on other women. There's no need. He has his sex life. 
He has what he needed, so he has stopped all those behaviors up above. One day she wakes up and realizes that she's lost her ability to cry. Christmas Day 1987 marks the turning point where her will is broken. She, uh, he, he had told her that it was Christmas, and that's the way you know she knew it, that it was Christmas, and she couldn't cry. Yeah. That's so sad. By January 1988, now remember, she was taken August 1984. She's pregnant again. On August, August 30th, 1988, a child is born in the cellar. It's born in the dark, without medical assistance, and without complications. But because Elizabeth is alone and lacks experience in such matters, the labor was really, really terrifying. Um, was he there? No, nope. was- he was not there. He did buy her books. She pleaded with him to buy books and leave the lights on so that she could read about pregnancy and what you're supposed to do, and she read everything. He traveled long distances to buy diapers. He left her alone with a single pair of scissors, a blanket, and a package of diapers to give birth. This is a quote from the book. Quote, exhausted and blinded by the darkness, she boils up some water on the portable stove and douses the scissors in the pan. Once the water had evaporated from the scissors, she dares not dry them on one of the unwashed bed sheets. She then cut the umbilical cord. Once it's over, she can't quite believe that she has managed it. At the foot of the bed lies gasping and shouting for breath a tiny baby girl. The mother looks at her with ambivalence. Then she swaddles her newborn child in a blanket, and for a little while the baby sleeps. The heavy late summer air has somehow percolated down into the cellar. Elizabeth is 22 years old. Four years ago, almost to the day, she woke up for the first time in this dank and forgotten place. Now it is her infant daughter's turn. What will become of them, mother and child? For 10 days, they sit in the dark and they wait, quote, end quote. For 10 days, he didn't come down after she gave birth. I have lost my will now. The child's father is also her grandfather. This 53-year-old man has lived in the house since his own childhood, has what many people think of as a solid marriage, has seven children of his own, has a great financial career, and owns his very own bed and breakfast. He is is very solid guy in the community. Nobody's they love question him. him. And now he has fathered his own grandchild. As you read that, I'm just like I'm so heartbroken for her and what she went through at 22, 22 alone, to alone in the no dark. No medical attention in nothing. the dark. He didn't even leave the lights on. And then oh my they gosh, sat it was in, in the, the darkness yes, too. In the dark. She boiled the water to cut the umbilical cord in the dark. She didn't see her, and he didn't come down for 10 days. She didn't see her child's face for 10 days. Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't handle this. Because for him, out of sight, out of mind. It's not a problem because it doesn't exist when he's not right there with it. Two years. I mean, essentially, probably, he could have just left her for dead because she could have died. Uh, Yes, yeah. He clearly didn't care. He didn't, right. He is like the worst this is human like I've ever. I know, I know. I we say this every time. We're I know. like this is now the worst case we've covered. It just keeps escalating. Now I'm just like, well, Shelly was reasonable. Uh, right, exactly. Not even Shelly did this. No. Not even Teresa Nor did this. I this mean, she killed horrible. two of her children. She did. But she let some of them live. She didn't right. lock them in she a cellar. She spared a few. She didn't have babies with them. Oh my gosh, you're right. Every time I'm like, that's it. That's the worst. Yep. I know. It's this never is the really worst. Bad. She did decide to name the baby Kirsten. Oh, no. So her first baby is Kirsten, which if you remember remember from the beginning of the story, 
is the 19-year-old that was brought in very yes, critically ill. Yes, This is exactly where my mind was going, mm-hmm. but I, d- I wasn't sure, but I'm like, yeah. oh, this, this is, that is it. Okay. Oh. Two years after Kirsten is born, there's another child, a boy, Stefan. He comes into the world in February 1990, and then two years later, Lisa is born in August 1992. Lisa was actually born on the same exact day as her mother's abduction. In so is, is this where the storyline comes in of these children just show up on the doorstep? Yeah, I'll get to it. I just okay. wanted you to know their names first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Monica, the fourth child, arrives in February 1994. And then twins, Alexander and Michael, are born in April 1996. And in December 2003, Felix is born. Seven children total, born one after another over a period of 15 years. At some of these births, the father was present, and at others, he was not. He could not later tell which one he was at and which one he wasn't. So this woman, this young woman, Mm -hmm. gave birth to all of these children Mm -hmm. with zero medical attention. Yep. Zero prenatal in care the cellar. to an ancestral child, which we know causes medical problems, uh, can health, oh, health yeah. issues yeah. on its own, mm-hmm. and then and then raises them as the kids are like as they're going through the years. Like I said, it was a total of fifteen years that she's having babies. He would tell her of her family and the outside world, and he would even like bring her photographs so that she could keep up with her nieces and nephews and her sisters and her mom and all. I mean, it was torturous, yeah, it but she, so hard. she asked about it. Like she wanted oh, to know okay. what was going on. He did eventually gift her with diaries. And so she kept some diaries, not really like detailing. He would sometimes tell her the date and year and things like that, but they would just be short things about like what the kids did, you know, stuff like that. So the kids are all still down there, like, for the most they part. They are. Elizabeth is honest when Joseph's not around about what life is really like outside of their walls. Okay, that TV that they have, they are watching documentaries on, like, Discovery Channel and learning about the outside world. And so they do know that this isn't how families are supposed to be. She wanted them to know what their reality was and didn't want them brainwashed into thinking that this was normal so she did tell them as they were when they're old enough to comprehend and understand that this is just so hard mm -hmm, to grasp that this isn't how it was toward the fifth year of her imprisonment he would start calling her my wife and that's how he began to think of her okay he really began thinking of like his cellar family and his his upstairs and his downstairs family he has an upstairs family and a cellar mm-hmm. family. Yep. By the early 90s, with the approach of Joseph and Rosemary's 40th wedding, uh, wedding anniversary, they were on, you know, friendly terms, he would later say, but their interactions had become practical and distant. He would show up only for meals, working the rest of the time, or disappearing on, quote, business trips that were often unknown to the rest of his family, but really he was spending not overnights in the cellar with his downstairs family. Oh my gosh. Yep. So he would take trips and it would just be to go down to the cellar. Yes. Yes. Like spend time with the kids. Yes. And act like he's there. Yeah. And he would spend a week, you know, down there, whatever, and be on this business trip. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's how 
it did looked he provide to the outside world. things for the children? He did. He brought them toys. They had some toys. He the food. She would cook him meals. They would eat meals together down there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She gets to the point where she is living only for her children and she's not fighting him out of fear that he will kill one of the children. And so to him, she's enjoying this. She's no longer a prisoner. She's happy because they're she a has happy the family and he provides. And wow. he describes that to authorities later. In his like she was fine. Mm-hmm. In his world, they were living happily. A happy husband and wife. I I feel like at a certain point on some horrifying level, you adjust to the way life is. Yes. Like you and ha- that's what I mean, she did. You have to. That is that's exactly it. With the birth of her children, this is a quote from the book, excuse me. With the birth of her children, Elizabeth's priorities had changed. Not to fall apart, not to commit suicide. This now became the aim. And seeing this change in his daughter, he had at last presented her with the gift of an alarm clock, which she took to setting each day for 6.30 a.m. so that she was up at dawn and in bed by 10 p.m. The everyday routines of domesticated life, the cellar, which by 1994 had begun to hum with the, with the rhythms of everyday life. There were good days and bad days, petty annoyances just as in any household, like the day that the color in the television stopped working, uh, mold had infested the electronics. For a while, it, it stuttered on in black and white, but eventually Joseph was persuaded to replace it. More proof that I was a good father, he would later claim. I provided for my family. There were food shortages. There were times when they all had all they had to eat was stale bread, and Elizabeth would have to chew up, chew it up with water and feed it to her babies when there was water. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. One exceptionally cold winter, the pipes had frozen and the water hadn't come out of the pipe the taps at all. And as much as they had hated him there, they were also afraid that he would never come back. Sure. There's always the fear that something would happen to him, or that he'd leave them there and they'd never be discovered. Or they'd suffocate. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. If mm-hmm. something happened, happened to, to him, him they got nobody into a car knows. accident. Mm-hmm. Uh. The air was stifling at the best of times, and they relied on an electric fan. Of course, when they'd punish, he would punish them by cutting off the power supply. The fan would stop, and they would be afraid that they wouldn't be able to breathe at all. End quote. I'm. I was thinking when you were talking fresh about like air, the mildew, like he I'm suffocated s- them with fresh air. Yeah, or, you know, with, or I mean, excuse me, he punished them by taking away fresh air. That's circulating disgusting. Air. Yeah. Like he would punish all of them for, mm-hmm. for things. Yep. Yep. I was thinking I can't, I can't believe they didn't have like breathing issues mm-hmm. because it was moldy. Oh, we'll get to it. Oh, okay. hold on. All right. Baby Lisa was born in 1992 on the day of her mother's abduction, but at eight months old, she started to cry and she would not stop. Nothing her mom did made it stop. Fearful that eventually someone would hear the child, Joseph put Lisa in a cardboard box and put her on the home's front porch with a letter written by Elizabeth. Her sister Doris found the baby on the doorstep at 6.20 a.m. The letter said, quote, Dear Mama and Papa, I pass on my little daughter Lisa to you. Look after her carefully. You're probably wondering why you're only hearing from me now, especially because this letter comes with a big surprise. I have been breastfeeding her for six and a half months. Now she only drinks milk out of a bottle and she eats everything else off a spoon. I'm incapable of caring for her. I hope she won't be too much trouble for you, end quote. The next day, Lisa was taken to a doctor who noted that she was unusually small, weighing just 5.5 kilograms. Sorry, I forgot to convert that 
but she was well taken care of with a clean appearance and well-trimmed fingernails. It was the doctor's view that Lisa had probably been born in a hospital due to the precision and expertise of the cut and clamping off of the umbilical cord. Oh my gosh. She ended up having heart surgery after it was discovered that she had a heart defect, and which is likely why she was crying unconsolably. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he did keep her updated on the fact that she needed heart surgery. He brought her newspaper clippings about heart, the complications of heart surgery and stuff like that. So she was kept informed about those things. That's got to be so hard because it's still her baby that was essentially Mm -hmm. taken away from her. Sure. To save her. Mm -hmm. Social workers visited and after failing to find the mother, granted rights to the grandparents after it was discovered the the letter had been written by Elizabeth. Once again, they got handwriting experts, and they're like, yep, it's Elizabeth's baby. So like I had alluded to earlier, why was the whole community just willing to accept that this woman joined a cult? Well, that man, Otto Mool, whatever, that was in the newspaper so much, he was like an extremist, and he publicly referred to himself as an Olympic champion of sex, which probably means he's a two-pump dump. Yeah, but, probably. you know, he had to carry on. Interestingly enough, there's a lot of similarities between him and Joseph. Like, Joseph used to carry on and talk about his impressive erection and how many times he's achieved orgasm. And, like, first of all, how do you how do you know that? Like, I, the number of times that you've achieved orgasm, I yeah, don't... like, how do you have a why specific is that, like, count? Right. Why is that a thing? And his unwillingness to use condoms because he found them emasculating. Like, there's just, there's a lot of things. So, I just wanted, when now that babies are starting to show up on the doorsteps, I wanted you to know why the community wasn't like, okay, what? What's like, going looking on? More, yeah, because all of this stuff is in the newspapers mm-hmm. about this this extremist group and whatnot. So it seems plausible. In December 1994, Monica was found on the doorstep of the Fritzels with another note. Rosemary was actually the one that found her. And it was a miracle that the baby hadn't froze to death because it was sub-zero temperatures outside. And there was a lot of like weirdness about how she was found and no one like no one questioned like wait a second how would her mom have dropped her off and no one saw her you know what I mean and for her to like still be warm when you heard her crying and you came downstairs and so like you just missed your daughter and no one else saw nobody saw and it's like freezing cold and and the note had actually said like she is crying and I can't get her to stop kind of just like Lisa was. Well, this time the there was a discovery. Rosemary had actually discovered that there was a strand of a little strand of hair that was caught and tied around around one of her toes and was like cutting off the circulation. Oh, the babies? Yes, of the baby and it was of course causing a great deal of pain. So once it was removed, everything was, oh, fine, was fine and Monica was fine. But the reason Elizabeth had missed it was because of the dim lighting in the cellar. Oh, my god! So she had no idea that that tiny strand of hair had wound around one of Monica's toes. That is so sad. So Monica's now being raised by her grandparents as well. Again, the authorities are just accepting it. No one's social social yeah. services comes again. They're like, oh, it's, Like, oh, know, yep, another one. She Here, ran a, you can have, yep, you can oh have guardianship gosh. of her, too. Mm-hmm. It's such a loaded issue because part of me is like, well, another baby that doesn't have to be in the cellar. Yeah, but then for sure. 
yeah. you know, another baby. It's a baby double-edged that, sword. Yeah. On December 17th, 1993, he had removed the, the bars and allowed the family for the first time to explore their new home that he had built. He had started connecting some of these other rooms and made like an elaborate little home for them. And so in 1993, I mean, we're talking wood all over the place, tile. Those things were being carried in and he is obsessively working on this and no one's questioning him. Nobody's like, what's going on? Right. And his whole family is just like, no one's going down into the cellar. I'm sorry, but Matt and I had this conversation. He was like, listen, after a while of you telling me that I'm not allowed in the basement, I'm going in the basement. Right. Like, exactly. And then if you start carrying, like, Heavy tiles. construction material and concrete, I'm going to want to see what you're doing. things. Like, yeah. I, I would have some yep. questions. Because he made all these rooms really nice into, into a, I don't want to say really nice, but into a living quarter for the family now that it's growing. She was able, Elizabeth started keeping heights and weights of the kids. She kept little diaries of like their symptoms because they were always sick. It's this. Always. Okay. So this is where we're getting to the. The mold and mildew mm, had a significant impact. They were always sick with flu-like symptoms. They were feverish. Yes. Now, life carried on as it it always did. The assaults continued with the difference now that. His daughter had apparently given up any attempt at resistance, like I had mentioned earlier. Uh-huh. Joseph had convinced himself that the two of them were engaged in a proper relationship. He would take her into one of the bedrooms while the child children stayed in the other room. He later said that his feelings towards his daughter had become mutual. She was in love with him, too. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So he, I was, I was actually going to ask that. If he just completely raped her in front of the children, so he no. would take her. No, nope, they'd go into the bedroom like a proper mom and dad, and because mm-hmm. he's living out this this normal life yeah. like he would upstairs with the other kids. Yeah. Now, at the end of 1995, Elizabeth knew that she was pregnant again, and she knew from the size of her stomach and the movements that it was twins. Um, her father was beside her when the first twin, Michael, was born. Joseph had taken the baby, whose umbilical cord he noticed to be pretty pale, and laid him on the bed. Then came Alexander, which was a more difficult birth, a situation that in a hospital usually usually requires intervention from a doctor. I believe the baby was breech. Um, mm. A couple hours after delivery, Michael started to struggle with breathing. She begged her father to take him for help and said, and he said that he what will be will be, hoping the situation would resolve itself. Michael Fritzel died shortly after midday on May 1st, 1996. His mother did everything that she could do to save him. May 2nd, Joseph returned to the cellar and carried the baby to the furnace room and burned him. Oh, my gosh. Yep. I know. And I'm just like, I I can't even comment on it. It's so horrific. I can't. Another year passes, and on August 3rd, 1997, another baby is on the doorstep of Rosemary and Joseph Fritzel. Alexander is a little 15-month-old boy who looks exactly like his grandfather, Joseph. Neighbors started to get displeased and were like, listen, they literally said, your house is starting to become a kindergarten classroom. Yeah. Like, what is going on? They called sur- social services again. And again, it, nothing's done. It's all just. They're just like, oh, yep. she dr- dropped another one yep. off. Now, Elizabeth lived for her kids. At 31, she became very sick. And Joseph was actually away in Kenya for work. So, so he- she was terrified that she was going to die and she really couldn't care for them. She was so sick that she couldn't care for them. And he was away in Kenya oh my and gosh. left them for weeks. That is horrifying. 
it's amazing that she didn't die, really. Uh, absolutely. Yep. Now, how many kids is, th- is this at at this point? How many kids has she had at this she point? She has seven of his kids. She- Only six survive. Okay, because mm-hmm. the, the one died. Yep, the last one was Sad. born in 2003. That was oh, Felix. Okay. By August 2007, he's getting on in age, and he's making big plans for the two families to emerge together. And he thinks this is going to work. Yep. He kicked out the renters that were renting the two apartments just upstairs. He converged them together to make a home large enough for Elizabeth and her three kids. Because remember, three kids are being raised by grandpa and grandma now. And her th- and there's three kids down in the cellar with her too. He began having Elizabeth draft letters that he mailed to himself indicating that she was ready to come home. However, before the plans could fully come to fruition in 2008, when Kirsten was 19 years old, she became life-threatening ill. Joseph saw this as the perfect time to unite the two families. Just before Kirsten had fallen ill, Felix had also been ill with fever and spasms that kind of represent, like, resembled epilepsy, but he seemed to get a little bit better, but that didn't happen for Kirsten. So, as we started this story, she was taken to the hospital, and Joseph had the grand plans of uniting his upstairs family with his downstairs family, all under the guise that Elizabeth had returned from the cult once and for all. So now we've gone full circle. He did allow Elizabeth out when they needed to call the ambulance, when they needed to get Kirsten, because she's 19 and she's bigger than an infant, when they needed to get her out of the cellar onto the front porch to be discovered. He did allow Elizabeth to help him, knowing she would go right back to the cellar because she's got two other kids down there. Yeah. And so that was the first time in 24 years that she had been out of that cellar when she helped carry Kirsten's body. They had to have been so, like, pasty. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Clammy. Also also trying to comprehend that um, Kirsten Mm -hmm. had been down there for 19 years. She'd never seen the light of day, right? No, no. And by the time they took her up there, she's unconscious from being as ill as she was. She wasn't, wasn't even aware. Now, one week after Kirsten had been rushed to the hospital by ambulance, Joseph brought up Felix, Michael, and Elizabeth out of the cellar for the first time. Felix and Michael had never been out of those rooms in the cellar, and aside from helping her father get Kirsten out, it had been 24 years since Elizabeth had been out of the cellar. He staged the scene like the media calls um, for help from Kirsten's mother had worked and that she had arrived and that her two children, she, and that she brought two other children back home with her. The whole thing was rehearsed and planned. Now, remember how I had said in the very beginning, unbeknownst to Joseph Fritzl, there were police waiting at the hospital to arrest Elizabeth for the neglect of Kirsten? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happens. And this is exactly where his plans derail. Up to this point, the police had always just taken him as his word for gold. So when Kirsten, or when, excuse me, Elizabeth is being questioned by police, they had rehearsed what they were going to say. He's not worried at all. Uh-huh. The interrogation of Elizabeth started between 9 and 10 p.m. one week after Kirsten had been in the hospital. The first hour she told the rehearsal, the rehearsed story about how she ran away to a call. They kept telling her, we need more information for on your daughter. Where has she been? What has she been exposed to? And they finally say, if you're not going to tell us anything, we are going to call social services and they're going to take away the rest of your kids because your your behavior is suspicious and this is neglectful. It mm-hmm. looks like you have neglected Kirsten. 
And if she dies, you're facing serious charges like manslaughter. Oh, wow. So is this kind of where she's like, oh boy. This is the breaking point. She lives for those kids. The minute that they, yeah. Yeah. And the minute that she, they said, we are going to take the other two kids away from you because you could do the same thing to whatever you've done to Kirsten. That's it. That was it. That's it. She tells them everything. Oh. At 11.15 p.m. in the next room, Joseph Fritzel was placed under arrest, and he was cool, calm, and admitted to some of the facts of the case, but he put a positive spin on it. He had saved his daughter from her life of drug addiction and had given her and the children a good life. Nice try, Grinch. Right? Take those eyebrows someplace else. DNA samples were taken from all the children next and confirmed and it was confirmed that they were the offspring of Joseph, Joseph Fritzel and his daughter, Elizabeth. And let's take a moment to imagine what the other family must be going through as this is all coming together. Oh, and, yes. You know, because being revealed. There are people that believe 100% that Rosemary had to have been in on it. And even Joseph was like, um, no, what kind of mother would do that? Like, no, she had no idea. I, I believe that yeah. she had no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way he no. planned this seller yeah. and and the way that he kept his family under rule anyway they weren't going to question him he had yeah. beat them all into submission before he did this right he was so, so abusive before yeah. even if they like you said they saw him hauling stuff they yeah. probably did wonder but they're like we're not gonna we're not, ask. i'm not gonna ask because i don't want to get hit by that two before two by four he's carrying down yeah. there yeah april 27th the investigators were in a state of disbelief and didn't really know how to proceed after all austria is Mostly a happy a place is a mostly happy place, and this town had never seen anything remotely as sinister as, sinister as this. They probably sat around for a couple of days like, what are we going to do? They were like, do? my God. When they obtained the code to the garage doors leading to the cellar, what they were dealing with was far more than they had imagined. Just the intricacy and detail of the cellar was shocking enough, but then the contents did nothing but confirm what they'd already been told. On a shelf, they found 15 diaries folded with letters from when Elizabeth was a child and now newspaper clippings. They found packets containing a date rape drug, journals, letters detailing symptoms of different illnesses the kids had had over the years. They also found a box with handcuffs, a leather whip, two colored photographs of an unknown girl sitting naked in and on one of the bathtubs in the apartment block. Oh, wow. Just a creepy... So yeah. just like some yeah, of this Yeah, during his or- voyeurism. Mm-hmm. Five black and white photos of women naked on a beach. A Billy Boy condom? No idea. And I my Google searches are messed up enough. I didn't want to Google right. it. Like, we've already I, searched some in pretty all concerning seriousness, things. I got tra- I'm trapped in some sort of weird group text that's like um, advertising sex things or whatnot because of a different search that I had to do for a case. So I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that curious, but I'm sure it was bad. There was sex toys, a typewritten story called the St. Bernard, which was a detailed story about a young widow's sexual relations with a dog. My God, as if he couldn't get any more sick, then he includes dog i mean i'm not even surprised at this point because he's just so repulsive right he has all of it right there was also a 10 page sadomisogynistic questionnaire titled imaginary conversation between a whore and a slave huh a questionnaire okay, i want to know who came up with that i think he did this was like typed oh, out he by made him it up. Mm-hmm. okay gotcha i was gonna say yep. like who's writing this material right <laughs> Also, the photocopies of a young woman's diary from between 1989 and 1991 who had rented an apartment from Fritzel. 
He went into her, broke into her apartment, stole her diaries, made photocopies of them, then returned her diaries, and he she never knew of it. He was in her room. Ew. You know he smelled her panties oh, too. For sure. God. Yucky. Right. Yucky. He's so <laughs> yucky. He is so yucky. They also found all the letters that Elizabeth had to write when her children were found on the Fritzel doorstep. And 21 letters dating from the early 80s from Elizabeth's teen years. Love letters that were intercepted and letters that were never mailed. She never got. Yep. Because her father was obsessed in stalking her and that he used those letters as justification for raping and holding her do- his daughter captive. I feel like the police probably needed like a, a lot good of therapy after this. To, yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you even discovering this whole, it's like a whole world. It like is. An underground world. It is. Yep, this whole thing that was happening right under your feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Monday, April 28th, Fritzl made a partial confession. Although to this point, he was still minimizing everything they had found against him, claiming that he saved his daughter from a drug addiction and that she had left him no choice but to keep her locked up. Then they fell in love and had a mutual, respectful relationship, and he took care of his family. Oh. He did admit that his wife and his other children had never went into the basement, were told they couldn't go into the basement, and had no idea what he was doing. Many questioned how Rosemary could never know that what was just below her feet for 24 years. She was only questioned once by the police, and at the time was seen as being in a very fragile state. And from all the records, it does not appear that she was ever questioned again. The authorities basically chalk it up to how absolutely insane it would have been to conceive that a mother who bore seven of a of seven children for a man would allow him to bear another seven with her own daughter. Right, right. It's just really hard to. I mean, all of this is hard to believe, but it's hard. It would be hard to find two people willing to do. I that, don't even. I don't even question, and I'm usually obviously very skeptical. I don't question for a second she knew a thing. Yeah, it sounds no. like he was horrible enough to live with up above ground. Yeah. So yep. I'm sure, like you said, the abuse was happening. They didn't they didn't question what he was doing down there. They probably were happy when he was down there. Well, that's actually. just it. He was away you know? from them and not beating them. Right. Yeah. Of course, the media was abuzz, and within two days, the authorities were under scrutiny for having this crime happen for nearly a quarter of a century when his past records were brought up from an old newspaper article outlining his 18 months for rape of a weapon, with a weapon, mm-hmm. plus the article, like... Everything else was then drug up as well. They're like, like how, this man mm-hmm. sexually assaulted someone. Yep. And you with never questioned him on. when his daughter went missing. Yeah. Yep. May 7th, 2008 was the first time Joseph Fritzl was interviewed by the state prosecutor. And the story he told was that of fantasy and not reality. He had never intended on keeping his daughter there. He was just going to talk to her. But when he found her face down on her bed, fully clothed, and he feared she was sniffing paint stripper to get high. He claimed that she was having an affair with a married man, claimed she went went down to the cellar on her own accord because she was high on paint stripper, and he left her there to sleep, and she never protested a thing. He She's claimed, like, I want to live here in mm-hmm. the cellar now. He claimed that he never used cuffs or chains, claims that he never had a gun anywhere, and that he has no idea where she would get the idea that she was chained around the hands and waist. It must have been because she was so high. He claimed he never prepped the cellar in advance. It was all spontaneous. Yet the toilet and sink in the bed told a different story. Yeah, just on a whim here. He claimed that he never had, um, that he never in his life sexually abused his daughter as a child. He was always away for work, and she was always around other children. So when would he have had the opportunity? 
she must have gotten him confused with Uncle France or something, or just something that she made up. Like, where are you throwing in a creepy uncle? You are the creepy uncle. You Don't blame so Uncle Franz. Yeah, leave him out of this. My God. And at this point, it's like knowing what he did, even if he didn't fully confess, it's kind of like yep. nothing you say the matters. Mini- exactly. Sir. The minimizing and denying. Yeah. Like, this is a quote from the book. No hint of remorse or self-doubt. Not the remotest trace of regret. Needing to cast everything in a positive life light to shift the blame, to make things less bad than they were. And if the truth was too terrible, as was often the case, he would tell an elaborate lie, outrageous lies that he would further elaborate on. On he would elaborate on them further during his second cross examination two months later by the state prosecu- prosecutor Christine Berkhauser. End quote. So this is his testimony that he gives on cross examination. Um, the second time he talked to the prosecutor, he never raped his daughter. There had been no sexual contact until she had been in the cellar for four or five months. He claimed he was trying to comfort her because she was pale and crying because she was unhappy about being locked up. He claimed that he was simply running his hands down her hair when he first realized his daughter was a desirable woman. And she never fought against him, never said she didn't want it. If so, if she said no, he would have accepted it. He claimed he treated her tenderly. The sex toys were her were for her personal use when he wasn't there, but she did tell him that she doesn't use them. He did admit that the first couple of years he had, he hardly spoke to her at all because everything just went in one ear and out the other with Elizabeth. After Kirsten was born, they spoke more and had more of a marital relationship. Yes. Now, yes. Does I see the way you're looking I'm, at me. I'm coming like, back to my his, microphone. That's his testimony. Does he not realize that even his testimony justifying this makes him still sound incredibly no. creepy? No, he thinks that he is getting away with all of like, it. Like, even the minimizing, it's like, sir, you still sound like so, a disgusting right. human You're being. running your hands down yeah. your daughter's Like, oh, hair I just and realized. Like, I realize she's a desirable woman just now at the age of 18. No. Yep. You still sound like a, a real creep. Cake, sir. Uncle Franz. Yeah. <laughs> you are the you're Uncle Franz. I bet there's not even an Uncle Franz. No, probably not. He is the creepy uncle. So regarding the violence and his claims when asked about the violence, he's like, I wasn't violent towards her or the kids. It wasn't necessary because Elizabeth would just always do what I said because she was happy. If she said that I hit her a few in the first few years... It's only because she wants to make the charges against me sound more believable. Mm, it's not because I right. really did it. Right. Also, if she says that I hit Stefan, I wasn't really hitting him. We were play boxing. Oh, just a little mm-hmm. playful father, son, grandpa. Like, dude, your lies are so much bigger than your cock. Like, come <laughs> on. Give me a break. Oh yep. He even claimed that he allowed her up many times to see the house to see the pool that he had built in the backyard like basically everything that he had come down remember how I said that he came down and told her about the outside world uh-huh. yeah all the stuff that he told her he's now telling the prosecution that he let her he let her go up and see and the prosecution's like yeah right because people would have saw her you had an apartment complex that you were renting to renters and they were nosy and they would have saw and questioned who this girl oh, was yeah you didn't let her out my neighbors know everything going on with me. You can't tell me somebody wouldn't have been like, oh, who's that? Yep. Who's that down there? Exactly. You know? Exactly. 
quote. Pretend to go, like, tidy up downstairs. You yeah, know? right, right. Vacuuming. Vacuuming the, the sidewalk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, ooh, That's what people who's do. Who's that pale girl down there? Yep. Many of his lies would be read back to Elizabeth when she underwent her own cross-examination by the judge. Almost every word of his account of what happened in the cellar was false. She did not have to face him in court. Her testimony was recorded and played back for oh, the jersey. Thank God. The God. jury. Not the jersey. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. Me I'm so too. glad. Joseph Fritzel's trial began on Monday, March 16th, 2009. And it was determined right then and there at that trial that he was responsible for the cause of death of Michael Fritzel. It could have been avoided, and therefore he was a liable. He was liable to face manslaughter or murder charge for that. Oh, good. Yep. When he was in court, and I want to post pictures of this, he spent the whole time hiding his face with a three ring ring binder. If I was the judge, I would have been like, "You put you, that binder yep, down. Take that binder you away from him." Why are this. they allowed to f- hide their face? They should not be. Able we had to. another case where a dude was being hauled off by the police and was able was allowed to cover his face with a towel. No, no. No like, objects to hide right. with. And it's because you're innocent before be, before proven guilty, but I don't know. It just seems like not in this case. Like, come on. No. The court proceedings started with the abduction in August 29th, 1984. The prosecution's opening arguments were strong, like very strong. And the most dramatic, and in my opinion, the smartest thing that the prosecutor did was she walked up to the jury with a box, pulled it open, and asked the jurors to smell the contents. No one outside the jury box could see what was inside. And the book really didn't say it, and other sources didn't say it either. But it had come from the cellar where Fritzl had kept his family. And the prosecution asked them to smell the last 24 years. Wow. Like, doesn't that just, like... That's, like... Whoa. Hits ya. Sure does. That I mean, that's ya. our biggest memory, our sense of smell, mm-hmm. right there. And they're like, this is what this family has lived in. For the past 24 years. That was like a badass move, if you ask me. On day two, the jury saw Elizabeth's testimony, videotape. On Wednesday, the third day of the trial, Fritzl was no longer hiding his face. And after reading the itinerary, Judge um, Humer asked, do you have anything to say to me? And he replied, quote, I recognize that I am guilty. I regret it. That's what he said to the jury. That's, that's in the, all he in had the to middle, say. In the middle of his case. They're in the middle. This is day three of the trial. And the judge is like, hey, do you have anything to say before we start for the day? And he's like, yeah, I'm guilty. I did it. And I'm sorry. And the judge is like, why are you saying this now? And he says, quote, because of the videotape testimony of my daughter, end quote. The judge asked why he didn't save his son. And Fritzl replied that he really thought the child would live and that he overlooked it. He said, it was only yesterday that I realized for the first time how cruel I was to Elizabeth. I had never realized it before. Like, okay. You would never realize that you were cruel to her, leaving her in darkness for punishment. Fuck off, man. Yeah. That day, the only testimony was heard that was heard was of the forensic psychologist, Dr. Kastner. He had a 130-page psychological assessment completed on Fritzl, and it was in his opinion that Fritzl's own mother's failure to love him as a child was central to his problems. His need to dominate women and his sexual behavior was him compensating for the defenselessness and humiliation he felt as a child. He suffered a severe combined personality disorder and should be held responsible for his actions. It took the jury four hours, including the time that it took them to eat lunch, to find him guilty on all charges. He was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Although at the time it would appear that he had an epiphany after hearing his daughter's testimony and seeing her in the, the public gallery because she did 
uh, she did um, come to the trial. Oh, she did. Mm-hmm. He spent, but he didn't. She didn't have to like face him in testimony. He spent most of his time before the trial and after the trial talking business and not at all seeming remorseful. And Elizabeth doesn't believe it either. She knows that he could have saved Michael, but she also knows that he's never been able to deal with emotions and he ignores them. And that's exactly what he did with Michael. During the trial, it was revealed. And to me, this is probably the most disturbing fact of the case. Like everyone at first was painting him as this big criminal mastermind, this smart engineer. But an expert actually came in and pointed out that concrete is one of the least soundproof building materials that there is, and people would have been able to hear Elizabeth and the kids. It was later find out found out that people did hear it, but they just talked chalked it up to like cellar noises. No one went down to investigate. Oh, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. He demonstrated like how you can hear like even a broom tapping on the ceiling. Like if she had been brazen enough to continuously try to scream for help, there is Somebody a slight may. possibility. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yeah, that's that's hard to grasp too. That obviously it never happened, but and then as we talked about, like she kind of just lost her will. She did, and then, and then she, the kids. Came. Then the kids came, and now she's living for the kids, and she yeah. So he was clumsy. He did leave clues all over the place. He was well known to family and friends to be a horrible person and an abusive husband and father. And he had a serious criminal record. He was a terrible liar, yet no one went looking. Austria's Minister of Justice in 2009 claimed that, quote, you can never really prevent these kinds of cases, end quote. But it is the opinion of others that, you can, had anyone really paid attention to the clues and the details. For example, him carrying the heavy building materials, his daughter yeah. going missing, and he's bringing in concrete into the cellar? I feel like it's one of those things where, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Right, but right. if anybody would have taken the time to pay attention to him mm-hmm. and... Actually, like, monitor what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Follow or, him. Or, ra- mm-hmm. yeah, do what he did but to it, so many people. But same token, like, he's gone all the time for work. And yeah. he's... If anybody would have raised a slight eyebrow, they would have probably pretty easily caught him. I, yeah. Because yeah. it sounds like he was pretty careless with it, Honestly, but nobody was watching. if his wife, who was accusing him of affairs, had, like, followed him just once. Just one time. She would have found out. Or, like, mm-hmm. questioned something and mm-hmm. called the police, like, hey, I think my husband's doing something. And I'm not yeah. blaming her by, no. by any means. But, right. like, I think that he was horrible enough to them. They didn't want to bother. They didn't right. want to, you know. Like right. I said, they were probably relieved when he was gone. And Exactly. The rest of the community, maybe if they Well, even, the rest of them, a lot of the community, there's just the close family and friends that knew of his abuse. That knew nature. his true colors. So to everybody else, he just looked like this successful family mm-hmm. man. And they put on airs. To make everybody believe that. Wow. So I liked this quote from the the book, too. We believe that Joseph Fritzl's crimes were largely preventable. Had the authorities been prepared to acknowledge the many clues laid before them over the years and that Elizabeth's fate in her father's cellar was not inevitable, as at least one member of the Australian government has suggested. So they started, they opened the book up like that, like saying the Australia, Austria, Australia, Austrian government believes that like cases like this aren't preventable. But like if you if the authorities look at the clues and don't just accept one man's explanation as face value when he has a serious criminal record, Mm -hmm. there are ways to prevent it is their point. 
So let's talk about the aftermath math real quick. Rosemary ended up having to move into government housing under a different name and with very little means because her home was treated as a crime scene for the entire summer of 2008. There was some tension between mother and daughter because Alexander, who is now 12, was used to calling his grandmother mom and would do so in front of Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth had like asked her to step away and to kind of leave like I need to be with my children and it caused tension and problems. They're okay now, Mm -hmm. but it was rough. Elizabeth and her children now live in the country of Austria and they have been treated psychologically with specialists that help uh, war veterans that have been held captive. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they're all doing well. The house has been petitioned several times to have the cellar destroyed, but due to laws and red tape, the house and the cellar still remains. And according to The Guardian, Joseph Fritzl is 85 and is said to be extremely unpopular with other inmates and has to be kept in solitary confinement with four guards watching him. Isn't that something? Isn't now that he ends up now isolated. Now he's in isolated in a cell. Wow. And I hope it stinks of mildew and is <sighs> gross. What a horrible, horrible man. Right? That is it just is, the most you guys, cruel. 24 years. I can't even, like... 24 years. That's so long. It is. It's hard to, like, I think about my life and where I was 20 years ago, and I'm just, like, so much has changed. Yeah. And so can, I, she missed, I can't grasp I mean, it's it. From, she was almost she's 40, 42. right? Or, or, yeah, she was over 40. So it was 24. She was, she was locked up from the age of 18 to 42. He stole her youth. Her good years. I hope she's got a lot of good years left. But, Me too. Me you know. too. Oh, got my a, gosh. Now, let's get you a brain bath Please. going. <laughs> this is from rotoburn.com, and I just found, like, a couple of funny ones, and they're short, so I was going to read you a couple here. All right. A woman was reporting her car stolen and mentioned that there was a car phone in it. The policeman, apparently this is 1997. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing this big car yes, phone. Yes, like a ginormous <laughs> yes. one. The policeman taking the report called the phone and told the guy that answered that he had read the ad in the newspaper and wanted to buy the car. So they arranged to meet and the thief was arrested. He had a he was just like <laughs> guessing that the dude had reported or had like already advertised the car for sale. Right. And was like, yeah, I, you know, I'll buy your I'll car. Take it. I mean, come on. <laughs> now, this one is really funny. <laughs> and I hate that it's a girl, that it's a female, because I don't mean to be like this, but 45 year old Amy Brashner was arrested in San Diego, Texas after a mechanic reported to police that 18 packages of marijuana were packed in the engine compartment of the car. She had brought the car to the mechanic for an oil change, according to the police. Brashner later said that she didn't realize that the mechanic would have to raise the hood to change the oil. (laughs) Boy, did he get a surprise. Wow. (laughs) Like... What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> right? But I love how she's like, how else did she think he was going to change the oil? Right, right. Do you think that it just happens like from, from the below? Back or, yeah. Right. <laughs> the trunk. He uses the trunk. I bet that to was a really oil. awkward moment for her. Right? Like, oh, shit. He found oh, it. He, so he found it. I hid it. it so carefully right where he needed to work right. on my vehicle. Oh, my God. Like, gosh. Uh, really? 
I love dumb criminals. I like dumb criminal stories. That was was good. It's just like, sometimes I do really stupid stuff. Oh, me too. And I'm like, damn, it's a good thing I'm not on a life of If I didn't know where the oil came from, I probably would do the same thing. Right, Like, if you're, like, (laughs) except you're going to hide, like, dumb shit in there, not marijuana. Right, exactly. Like, cosmetics that I stole. Not not that I've done that. (laughs) But if I were to, like, that would be be more up my alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the marijuana. If I was going to be a thief, I'm going to steal the the expensive shit that, you know, is an inconvenience. Rodian and Fields. That's what would be in mine. Oh, my God. Where's the nearest (laughs) warehouse? Right, right, right. That's what would be under my hood. <laughs> my anti-wrinkle cream. Yes. That's all I'm doing. Yes, yes. That's funny. All right, well, follow us on social media, because I'm going to post all kinds of pictures of the inside of this house, too. Oh, I, yeah, I I've need to see lots, those. Yeah, I have a lot of pictures. So follow us for all of that. We are looking for an intern as well. We, yes. If someone needs an internship, email us, crimecurious at yahoo.com. It is not a paid position, but you do can you get, get college with credits. with the gift and, of us. Yeah, yeah, and recommendations. Also not um, a high, not an internship that's going to take up a whole lot of your time either. But anyway, there's that. We did post about that on our socials as well. Um, feel free to leave us a review. We're still doing a giveaway. I think we're going to do that through August. Give people time to give us reviews on whatever platform they listen on. And uh, we're going to send them some pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um, for the winners. We're going to draw a couple winners. And I think that's it. All the business. And till all next the, time, you guys. Hope you enjoyed this. It's the wrap up of our Father's oh, Day. I just jumped. I was you like did. premature. I was like, bye. Way to prematurely eject <laughs> your bye. <laughs> so, all right. I guess Amber's ready to get the hell out of here. So, uh, bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>